to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So this episode features Jane Masters. Jane is a master of wine. She is the main wine consultant for the Payment Wine Group, which, as you guys know, is one of the main wine clubs I belong to and get most of my wine from. We had a nice chat and kind of got into how she got into wine, kind of her origins, and kind of talked about her various roles she's had through all the all the many years that she's uh, been in the wine wine business. Just want to give a quick shout out to some folks that I met this weekend at the Garage East North Wine Festival. Sarah from the Lariana Cellars and Mike Mosney from the Winemakers Cut and Anthony Buchanan from Desert Hills and he also has his own label. Those guys were, were really nice this weekend and uh, they really appreciate what I'm doing for the the BC Wine community and the podcasting community. So thanks guys, appreciate it. And let's get right into this chat with Jane. You said it's about five o'clock in France right now. It is, yes. Where, so I haven't quite I haven't quite poured myself a glass of wine yet. No, so. <laughs> it's a little bit too early. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm down in the south of France in Nice right now. So oh, I have lovely. a place here. I spend my time between London and Nice. So nice. very lucky. My uh, my wife's cousin lives in Aix en Provence. So um, oh right, just I've up been the road, nice. really, a couple yeah. of hours. Yeah. Lovely area. Great, beautiful. Do you yeah. get out there then, from time uh, to time? We've been a few times. Haven't been in a couple of years now. We just we were living in the Middle East, so it was a lot easier from from over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, now being in Vancouver side, it's it takes a little longer. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah, it's much further. Yeah. So you're you divide your time between London and and France. Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, I travel a lot anyway, so I'm actually, I'm usually in Canada a couple of times a year, but just for a, a week at a time. And then I'm, I have a client in the States, so I go to California two or three times a year as well. And then obviously here in Europe, I'm very close to a lot of different wine regions. So I'm very fortunate to be able to travel around a little bit more. So yes, I'm between Nice and London, but lots of other places as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it it's funny because so in previous episodes and previous with previous guests, I've always you know I always mention Apimian and I mention the variety of regions that uh, that we're fortunate to get uh, get offerings from and stuff. And mm-hmm. to have you on as the person who basically selects selects what I get to drink for yeah. the year is quite an honor. Oh, <laughs> it's an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, so how how did your how did your time in opinion start? Like, how did that kind of, or I guess we should even start with how do you how did you get into wine in the first place? Like, what was your kind of original journey? Well, my journey, I would say, I was really lucky. I just really loved wine, and perhaps very naively, at a fairly young age, I decided that I wanted to try and make wine my career. But it was it was pretty naive. I wasn't born into it in any way, nor was it really a second career for me, which. And there are a lot of people in the wine trade now that have have you know had one career and then and then been lured into wine because it's something that they found fascinating and that they enjoy. But for me, it's been my whole career really. I would like to say it's been that there was a big sort of grand master plan, um, but that's not really true either. Um, 
I just loved drinking wine and from a very young age was always interested in smells and flavors. I actually went to university and I studied chemistry. Um, whilst I was at university, I worked in various wine bars, various restaurants and things. It was really in my final year at university that one of my chemistry professors asked me what it was I was going to do. And I was a little bit at a, at a loss, really. And um, I think he was getting a little bit frustrated with me and said, well, you know, there must be something that you enjoy or want to do. And I said, well, I quite like wine. And it was a bit of a sort of throwaway comment, really. Um, and he said, well, you do realise that there is this whole topics, oenology, the science of wine and winemaking, and that there are places where you can go and study how to make wine. And literally, I was quite, I was quite uh, shocked in the first place. And, and, and I think I got to a point at that point where I didn't really want to study anymore. So, but it did sort of get me thinking. And as I say, pretty naively, I, naively, I, I just thought, well, why not? I'd quite like to work with wine. And I wrote off to a load of different companies in France on spec. Um, and was very lucky in that a number of them replied and I spent the next year working in France for several different wine estates, also for a cognac house. And whilst I was in France, I then decided that I would sign up and, and do uh, what is called the Diplôme National d'Onologue. And so I went to Bordeaux and spent two years at the Institute of Onology in Bordeaux. And really, that's where it all started. Mm. Uh, one thing led to another. I've over the years worked in many different aspects of the trade, either making wine, as I say, I studied to make wine. I, I made wine in a number of regions. I then moved back to the UK and bought wine for a very large retailer. And I was with them for about 13 years. So, so that gave me the opportunity to travel the world, to meet lots of people. I did my Master of Wine whilst I was at, at, uh, in that role as well. And then for the last... Oh, it's nearly 15 years now. I've been a consultant, so again, on working on a range of product uh, projects with different uh, different clients around the world. It's been it's been a, a fascinating journey, full of lots of interesting people, interesting wines. And as I said, I'd like to say that it was a grand plan that that's what I envisaged it would be right from the start, but it wasn't. It was really one decision led to another thing, which led to another opportunity, led to another thing. So I've been very very lucky. Well, and that's, I guess, immersing yourself from a young age, because like you said, some people kind of have that epiphany moment or they just, they kind of, some sort of fortuitous, you know, luck or, or what have you, but you just seem to have immersed yourself throughout the years. And then, like you said, you just gradually increased your level of immersion, shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it went from, you know, as I say, naively as a student finishing university where I knew very, very little, but was interested and loved wine, um, to now, you know, having worked in many aspects of it, but now appreciating not just the wines themselves, but the regions, the people that make them, the cultural aspect of wine, uh, the history behind it, all of those things just mean that there's always more to know and more to learn <laughs> more to experience i've heard the expression that the the more you know the less you know you, you always seem to find more and more that's, stuff to find out i'm sure that's true in many many in many different uh, fields but yeah that's it's it's true yeah i probably if i if at the start i'd known all the, that there was to know i'd have been so daunted by it <laughs> that i may never have set out on the journey and <laughs> sort of you know gone off in my old banger to work in France as a as a graduate and uh yeah here I am so it's here great that's uh yeah exactly if you knew if you knew how much 
Well, I guess if you knew how, like you said, how daunting it would be, I mean, you've got your Masters of Wine as well. So, I mean, that's that in itself is a, a daunting task to take care of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, something very, very special. I passed my Masters of Wine exams in 1997. In fact, I was chairman of the Institute of Master Wine for two years up until September last year. And the, the Institute of Master Wine is, is really special. They are currently uh, 380 or so Master Wine around the world. And basically, to become a Master of Wine, you're tested on all aspects of wine in both written theory exams and in tasting exams. And I was very lucky because I'd done my a winemaking postgraduate diploma I you know the, the sort of academic uh, or scientific or technical side if you like was relatively uh, I was relatively relatively au fait with all of that but um, the tasting exams are also extremely rigorous mm. and the level of detail that you need to know for both parts of the exam from viticulture to growing grape oh, sorry viticulture which is growing grapes how wines are made, but also the marketing of wine, the legal aspects, commercial issues relevant to the trade. You've really got to be up to date on all of this, on all the trends around the world, the latest technologies. And then the tasting exams, you've, you know, basically you're tested on your ability to evaluate wine blind, um, assess the quality and aging potential of different wines, as well as try and identify how they've been made and where they've come from. Um, so it's yeah, it's pretty rigorous, mm. and uh, you learn a huge amount as you go through the 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 preparation for the exams. And um, once you've got both the practical and the tasting, uh, sorry, the practical and the theory parts, you then have to do a research paper at the end, which again is a huge learning process. You take you take a topic, your own original sort of topic that you want to research, and develop uh, the latest thinking on that. So it's it's great, and the institute itself is. As I say, a very, very special place. Um, 380 masters of wine. We've all succeeded at these mm. exams. We've also we've got almost the same number of students as there are now masters of wine. And part of being a master of wine is actually giving back to the institute. So that means that all the education seminars, all the things that are done for the people that are preparing for the exams now, are often run in by masters of wine who give up their time to do it in order to contribute towards the future, hopefully the future success of the global trade. So it's a great place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to talk with um, Anne, I think her last name's Creeble. Ah, I heard that interview. Yes, I listened to that. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. lovely. She is. She's fantastic. I love Anne to bits. And she again, she's, you know, the Masters of Wine also, what's, what's amazing about it is I think sometimes people think that all Masters of Wine come from the same background or the same journey, whereas Anne is typical of someone that's come from a very different background. So my, my background was winemaking and then the commercial side, Anne's background was is, is writing and literature. And mm -hmm. uh, I think she's a, a great writer, uh, one of the best that we have right now in the trade. Um, but, you know, the, the, the membership or the, the master of wines range from writers like Anne to educators, to uh, people that are traditional trade uh, wine merchants, to people that working in the big auction houses like Christie's. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got well-known figures like Jancis Robinson, who, I mean, uh, is amazing. All her reference books, I think, are probably reference books for anyone that works in the trade or anyone, indeed, that has an, an interest in wine. And so you have this 
group of people that have come to do the Master of Wine exams from completely different backgrounds and who bring different specialisms, different skills, and they're all shared within the Institute. So it's a very, very special place. Yeah, it's certainly a well-rounded um, uh, group in that sense, for sure. Mm. And of course, you've got quite, you've got four or five Master of Wine now in Canada. Mm-hmm. I, I've, um, <laughs> and about 40 or nearly 50, I think, in the United States now. So, yeah, yeah we have a, a big presence in North America. I think there's a, I think, uh, there's a gentleman named Reese Pender. Yeah. He's a, he's a master. Yeah. And he actually, he's in BC. I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and chat with him on uh, one of these days. He, uh, he's w making wine up in the Okanagan. Yes. But it's, it's funny because I, when I, when I chat with people, there's always, for me, there's always kind of a, a meeting or there's some sort of, like with Anne, I loved her writing. And yeah. I, so for me, there's always a connection. I, d I just don't want to talk to people for the sake of talking to people. For me, mm. there's, there's a, a personal meaning or there's, so for example, with Anne, I, I, you know, kind of fell in love with how she wrote and, and mm. you know, looking at her pieces and stuff. And um, with yourself, of course, there's the opinion connection and there's the, you know, the fact that um, for the last uh, five years, I guess, I've been in I've been in the opinion group and I've chatted a, about opinion on numerous um, episodes. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, uh, it's for me, it's it's the fact that I get to chat with you about kind of how you kind of got into opinion and how you, how you choose what you choose and how you kind of, yeah how it kind of came about, you know what I mean? Again, I think opinion is, is again, another very special organization. Yeah, I sure. love. I, love, I have great fun working with Opinion. I love I love working with the guys in the main office in Montreal, but also uh, meeting lots of members across Canada and the area reps. How I got into I've been working probably best part of 10 years now with Opinion. Before that, my predecessor was uh, Ken Christie, who was also a master of wine. He was one of the founding members of Opinion over 40 years ago. Um, wow. And uh, Ken is now very much a strong and fit and lively individual, but decided he wants to, you know, have a bit more time to himself and uh, do some of his other hobbies. He's now in his, oh, I don't know how, exactly how old he is, but he's in his 70s. And at the time that Ken was looking at retiring, he was looking, or opinion were looking, I should say, for a replacement. and. So well, I was amongst a number of different people that put themselves forward and uh, went to meet the team in Montreal. And yeah, at the end of it, they said that they would like to work with me. So yeah, that was very, very, I was very pleased with that. Um, what year was it again? Great, gosh, now you've got me. It's about <laughs> 10 years ago, oh, okay. probably 2011, maybe. 2011 maybe something like 2010 okay. 2011 somewhere around there right but no it's great fun uh, I have great fun so I'm sourcing exclusive wines from around the world often the wines come from sort of smaller family producers and they're all great really great characters people who are passionate about what they do and some of the, some of them have had many generations looking after their small estates or some of them are more recent into um, producing wine. 
but they all tend to have this passion and focus on making wine. They don't necessarily have the resources or the marketing skills to actually compete with larger companies. Their focus really is on winemaking. So it's people like um, Floris Lemstra at Chateau Canet or Bruno Le Breton at Domaine de la Jasse. I mean, I could name so many of them. Mm. They're all just a great, great bunch of people. But I would say the other thing that makes Opinion special isn't just the wines and, and just the and just the producers. It's it's also the members themselves. They are huge fun, the members. Whenever I'm in Canada, I try and meet as many as possible. We sometimes do tasting events. Sometimes it's um, more formal. Sometimes it's it's less formal. We had a great event, for example, in Kitchener in June, in June just gone, uh, where we... I chose four pairs of wines, so we, we tasted eight wines all in total from all around the world, sort of comparing and contrasting different grape varieties and the impact of where those grapes were grown and the people that made them and the winemaking styles. And um, it was just, it was so much fun. We had over 100 members and it's just a, a group of people, a great community, people who love wine, love learning about wine. Some are very knowledgeable. Others are, you know, less knowledgeable, but just want to enjoy what they're drinking. And, and, and uh, that's, that's great. That's what, at the end of the day, that's what wine is there to be enjoyed rather than to be, be too sort of talked about. And, that, um, and that's the thing is at the end of the day, it's, it's about enjoying it. And I think for me, yeah. the, uh, the opinion, the thing I love about the ability to get wines that you wouldn't necessarily get in the regular you know, a liquor store or it's yeah. stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. No, exactly. So I'm always on the lookout for new producers, but we also want to keep in, you know, we want we want both a mix of wines that are regularly featured and producers that the members have got to know and really love and some newness in there. So I'm always looking look out for new exclusive producers, exclusive wines. Um, you asked about how I go about sort of making the final selection. So yeah. obviously throughout throughout the year, I'm sort of visiting people either directly at the wineries and estates or going to things like uh, the trade fairs. There's a big one in, uh, called Provine in Dusseldorf every, every March and probably there's a large number of people from all around the world, producers that will be featured there. There's other things like the London wine trade. But I'm always throughout the year looking and tasting wines but for each specific seller offering then uh, I have a sort of an idea of the wines that I've seen over the course of the year and the wines that I'd like to include and uh, we ask the producers from specific regions as you know each seller offering is uh, focused on a particular region or country and so we ask producers from that particular region or country to send me samples in London. So I have a little office in London where everything gets sent. They're all tasted blind and I want to do that so that I can really compare mm. the value from the relative value for money, the quality of each of the wines. And I'm looking basically to get usually in each seller offering 50, 55 wines from a given from the given regions that offer a range of different price levels, different quality levels, different styles, different grape varieties, different colours, so that there is something there for hopefully all our members, depending on their mood and also depending on their, you know, how much money they want to spend given the occasion that's going to be drunk 
for and that's it really <laughs> so everything is tasted sometimes it's really 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 hard because you know we, well, I always ask for more samples than we've actually got room for in the wholesaler offering so it's a case of actually having to make some hard decisions and say well we can't offer all of these wines some of them are going to have to go so it's it really is the the creme de la creme if you like that that get through and are successful well as as someone who's enjoyed them through the last few years i i uh have to say that the selections have always been great and like you said some of those some of those producers you look for each year and you and it's kind of uh it's nice to know that oh you know next year i'm going to get some more of of the same or or what have you or and also like you said also the fact that there's some new different ones um absolutely like uh the hashwell and lightfoot i believe they're called um they're australian yeah they came on this year kind of uh as a newer one uh very tasty like the semi i don't have my i don't have any of the magazines in front of me but uh there's yeah. been a couple of new ones recently that uh yeah just been amazing they, they i think they had a barbera as well yes they did i have just about two weeks ago i just tasted through all the australian new zealand wines for the next seller offering mm. from from southern hemisphere and uh, it was, it's, I always, I always love the Australian New Zealand cellar offering tasting because it's the first time really that I get to taste the wines of the year. So obviously Southern Hemisphere harvests its grapes at a six months earlier than Europe. So we're coming up to the European harvest fairly soon. In fact, there's probably people in the long dock. What are we with? A, yeah, probably in the next couple of weeks, there'll be people starting to pick grapes. But obviously Chile, Australia... Uh, South Africa and and uh, New Zealand all finished mm. back in sort of February, March, April time. So it's my first opportunity to taste some of those 2019 wines. Nice. You mentioned and Lightfoot. Unfortunately, there's I mean there's there's, there's going to Haswell and Lightfoot are going to be featured in the offering definitely. I'm not sure that we I can't remember whether I've pitched the Barbera again this year. Um, but I know that the semiol unfortunately isn't in there. They didn't have any available, which is oh. very sad. But <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's another thing that you always I know you're always conscious of the fact that whether whether it's available or not, and what your position is. I mean, they have other they have other sources that they have to think about as well when it comes to you know how much who gets what and how much, right? Yeah, and and also you know there's there's a vintage impact everywhere, and of course. Even though we tend to think that in places like Australia, the impact of the vintage is lesser than in places like Burgundy or Bordeaux, there still is an impact in terms of the quantity of wines produced and the quality of wines. And different grape varieties react different differently given, you know, the climate during the course of the year and the growing conditions. And so nothing is a given for example, I had a wine last year that I thought was absolutely superb, and we know that members follow it. If it if it doesn't, for whatever reason, show well in the tasting, the following vintage, then I'm clear that much as ideally we would like to include it in there, it's got to be that the wine has really got to deliver every single time. And so if it's not up to scratch, then it doesn't get through, I'm afraid. Mm. Is there, is, well, I mean, and that's, I mean, not you, to try and penalize anyone, but just no. to make sure that, you know, that I'm, I, I really feel that, that my role is to, is to source the best wines that I possibly can for opinion members. You've got a standard and you've, you obviously opinion as a standard and, and consumers expect the, a certain level for sure. 
is there a region in in particular that for you is always one that you just love going to every year? And I mean, I know I'm sure there's quite a few, but is there one in particular that you're you just love going to? <laughs> it's so difficult. That is. I mean, as I said earlier, I'm so lucky in that during mm. the course of my career, I have been fortunate enough to visit virtually all the major wine producing regions and they are all different they're all beautiful but they're all different in the, in their in their own way so really hard to to pick one region i have to admit that because i spent you know i lived as a student and worked in bordeaux for 5 years and then i regularly go back and visit obviously because it's a very important region to the wine trade generally and and to opinion opinion members really do love bordeaux wines mm-hmm. i always enjoy going back there and that's partly because of the wines partly because of you know the region but it's because i've got friends and you know lots of other things going on there as well but there are so many beautiful regions the rhone region in france is beautiful mm-hmm. Um, South Africa, Stellenbosch and Franschhoek uh, and all around uh, the Western Cape. I was there in November of last year, actually, with a group of opinions, to be honest. And mm. we ha- it's just beautiful. I hadn't been there for a long, long time. And it's the scenery is just dramatic. It's stunning. You know, the, the mountains always in the background, the colours as the sun comes up or goes down. Amazing. Yeah. Chile and Argentina, either side of the Andes, the same thing. You've got mountains always at some point behind behind you on either side, but they're both very different. So I find it really hard <laughs> to say if there's just one place. I, I was fortunate enough when I did visit uh, my wife's cousin in, in Provence that we mm-hmm. uh, did a road trip up to Paris and uh, mm-hmm. stopped in Burgundy and went, went I mean, you literally that trip you hit so many different regions all the way up through the middle there yeah. and yeah. Uh, just a just a great like going through Loire and and just just such a pretty drive um, all the way up and then we stopped in Burgundy and uh, I'm a big Pinot Pinot guy that's my that's my grape right yeah <laughs> so yeah well you'll have definitely been in the right place in Burgundy then <laughs> yeah is there is there a particular grape for you that you're that you can't live without mm. I find that really difficult to to say there because you mentioned Pinot and I am it's mm. not that I don't like Pinot I'm very very fussy about my Pinot so Pinot would probably not be my number one grape because unless it's really really good um, mm-hmm. I I yeah I sort of tend to steer away from it but well, there's so many that, different expressions of it, right? There, yes, that's that's true. That's very true, and that's and I mean that's what I was going to say. There's so many different grape varieties and so many different expressions of of all of them. That one of the things I love about wine, and which sort of keeps me constantly interested in it, is the diversity in it. And um, so, trying to sort of hone it down is is difficult. I think it. You know, maybe I'm just a bit schizophrenic, but um, <laughs> depending on my mood, depending on what's going on around me, depending on what we're going to eat, all those things, I sort of pick and want to have a sort of palette, of, of quite a large, wide palette of great varieties and styles of wine to, to choose from. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, for yeah, for me as well, it's, it's weather dependent. Is it fall? Is it 
Is it rosé? Yeah, you know, is it exactly. summertime? Is I mean, it definitely is at it... the moment it's warm here in Nice. Yeah. It's sort of we, we've come through the very, we've had two heat waves this year already, mm-hmm. um, but it's still pretty warm. It's just sort of around thirty degrees centigrade during the day here, and so definitely it's it's not those big hearty Bordeaux reds that I'm drinking. <laughs> <right now>. <laughs> it is Provence rosé or other rosés. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of other great rosés too, dry white wines, but you can get you know whether it's Sancerre's or Sauvignon Blancs from other places or some, we're very close to Italy. You know, Italy is 20 minutes drive from here. So there's a whole range of Italian white. We had a Falangina last night uh, as an aperitif. So very fortunate to, to have access to lots of different things. Yeah. I, I always I jokingly, you know, the expression, the desert island, desert island uh, grape, you know, if you're stuck on mm. a desert island, you only had one, a lot of people pick Syrah. That seems to be one of their grapes that they always seem uh, to... Um... I think, actually, I, well, if you're really, really going to push me like this, I have a nickname, <laughs> which is, which people at university, this was before I was even in the wine trade, people at university called me, and that was Champagne Jane, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> and definitely, Champagne is one of those go-to wines, if you like, that I could... I know it's not everyone that can that enjoys drinking it all the time or throughout a meal or whatever the occasion. But for me, I love it. I love it if I just want to feel happy and celebrate something. I love it just because I might feel like having a glass of it. So if if I was on a desert island disc, I think, sorry, desert island, I don't know if you know desert island discs, that's why I made the slip of the tongue. It's a BBC Radio 4 programme that's on every week, which okay. is really funny. It's um, asked celebrities what 10 tracks of music they would want mm. to take if they were washed up on a desert island on their own and maybe we should start a desert island wine list perhaps yeah exactly um certainly champagne would be one of mine <laughs> and it's one of those ones that like you said people people don't think about it but it, it goes with so many things yeah and it develops as you as a sister in your glass it can really develop as well so yeah. People really kind of th- just think about it in a as a you know cocktail or whatever, but yes. it can it can pair a lot more than you think, basically. Yeah, and I think historically we did. We just always thought of it as an aperitif, and you know, again with champagne, they're all they're all sparkling, obviously, but there are a huge number of styles from just very light and fruity and quite simple to much more mature champagnes that have a higher percentage of Pinot Noir, your favorite grape variety in there as well, that just give it more weight, more body, more length, more complexity. And as you say, if you keep that in the glass for a while and keep going back and sipping it, it just changes and it's just absolutely divine. <laughs> anyway, you're getting me all excited now. I think I'm going to have to have a glass of champagne this evening. <laughs> well, it's, uh, yeah, for sure. And, and you're, you're, unfortunately for me, it's 8.30 in the morning, so I'm drinking coffee, but you're... <laughs> Sorry. You're ready to go. Champagne soon. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to check my notes, Jane, and just bear with yeah. me for a second. It's funny. My father-in-law and mother-in-law got me into Opimian. They bought. They actually bought me the year membership. The first year. They've been oh, members since like they've been members since like the 80s. Oh right. Yeah, they're like original. Are they based in Vancouver as well? They're in Vancouver. Yeah. Right. And then my. My wife's uncle and my brother-in-law. There's like literally most of my my wife's side of the family are all opinion members. Yeah, um, that's good to hear. Yeah.
so the other the only other one of course i don't like to always it's like an easy topic that i always throw yeah. it's the natural natural wine debate right it's right. An, it's an easy topic that we could literally spend the next hour talking about um yeah. there's a lot more natural wines and, and it's a bigger kind of movement shall we say i don't want to use the word movement but in like paris and london and kind of where you are mm. it's a bit more prevalent than say in north america mm. it's funny because I'm going to a wine tasting this weekend. There's a there's a Pinot Noir festival up in the Okanagan, but then they're also having a smaller, uh, like a garagiste type uh, yeah. event, and a lot of natural winemakers are are starting to crop up in Vancouver. And Vancouver starting to become a bit of a market for natural wines. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts? What's your? Um, I have quite a few different thoughts about natural wines. I think, first of all, it's important for me to say that, one, for me, the most important thing is the quality and the flavour of a wine. That is, whether it's natural, organic, biodynamically produced or whatever, it is the flavour and the quality for me that is the most important thing. Secondly, I would say that... I completely understand the philosophy in in terms of why consumers uh, buy into the idea of natural wines because I think that there is a sense that being natural it has uh, it's it's more nutritious it's better for you it fits in with a healthy lifestyle and I think we should all be leading you know healthy mm-hmm. um, balanced lives and I think wine can play for me plays an important part of that you know mustn't we must drink in moderation but I think wine is an important part of of my lifestyle I and maybe it's my science background though I am quite skeptical about some of the uh, ideas behind natural wines in that first of all I take issue whether something just because someone says it's natural is better for you you know yes there are no additives in there but there's no control over the way in which those wines have been made either and that means that the fermentation is carried out by microorganisms that we don't necessarily know what they are or how good they are at transforming sugars into alcohol and any yeast that that carries out the ferment, uh, alcoholic fermentation also produces a range of byproducts so many of those things are the flavors and the taste that we get but there are also things like bioamines um, things that are potentially um, can cause allergic reactions or um, mm-hmm. you know other things they're not actually very good for you and the thing I have about natural wines is therefore they're not necessarily better for you right the other thing I think that the that many consumers think that that natural wines, and I think they've been led to believe that natural wines just in, in quotes make themselves. It's the wine making itself without you know human intervention. And it's like well, that's really not true, is it? Because grapes don't just pick themselves and find themselves in a tank. They there are decisions that winemakers or winemakers have to make when they're going to pick the grapes, how they're going to pick the grapes, what how they're going to actually manage that fermentation. So I think it's there's there's a bit of um sort of smoke and mirrors here. And I 
I don't think I think that there are natural wines that are very good and most of those that I know are people who have trained traditionally as winemakers who understand the science behind it and then have learned how to manage their fermentations naturally and then I think that there are other people who have come to the idea of natural wines through a different path who who believe in the concept but don't actually understand the risks or how to manage them when they're making wine and therefore you know and therefore can end up with wines that are bad mm-hmm. faulty inconsistent so i'm not sure whether i'm making a lot of sense here but no you are and um, you are and i think i i also i think that's why i like how you pick for opinion because you you really select the a lot of the small production boutique type wineries that are really careful with what they're doing and they're really you know yeah. they're really paying attention and and that's as a as a wine drinker that's all i look for in, in yeah and how I pick the wines yeah. is that someone's taking care of, of, of yeah. the whole process. And, and many, many of those producers are, some of them are organics. We've got some biodynamic producers. We've got others that produce more classically using la lutte raisonnée. Uh, mm. I can't think of the term in English now, but um, basically only very reduced sort of spraying regimes in the, in the vineyards to just to control things like mildew or downy and powdery mildew. And... I think that depending on the environment where you're growing the grapes and where you're making your wines and, and the grape varieties, so Pinot is a, is, a, is a classic variety that is really difficult to grow well um, and is very, very susceptible to, to rot. So, you know, not easy to make natural wines from, but there are some people that are doing it and yeah. doing it very well. So, yeah, my 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 first concern is the quality of the wine. I am very, very passionate and very concerned, though, about the environment, generally, climate change and the environment. And it's a topic that everyone in the trade, certainly most people in the trade now, are thinking about in terms of how can we reduce our impact. And part of that is, you know, use of pesticides. How do we work sustainably? But it's 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 in the vineyard it's in the winery in terms of our use of electricity during you know chilling of the fermentation or during pressing the co2 emissions that that are that are being created all of those things are really really important and um and are not always easy or simple to address it's a very complex problem so i think you know it fits into the idea of natural if you're thinking natural means um, less uh, less impact on the environment, for sure. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, I feel very strongly about that. And you're right; a lot of the producers that we work with are very conscious of their environment and, and doing what they believe is right in in their uh, on their estates and in their regions. And I think we'll see more and more of that going forwards. I do appreciate this, Jane. I really thank you uh, a lot for for taking out the time. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I hope to see you in Vancouver sometime. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a blast for me.